What a blessing it was to hear our children describe God. I'd like to open the same question to you. Just in a word or two, how would you describe God? Inspiring, faithful, awesome, love, giving, caring, forgiving, yes. Just, this is great. What? Has said, a covenant love. Omnipotent. Big. Comforting. Patient. Sovereign. What was that? Cool. <laughs> this morning we, we start on a journey through the attributes of God. A journey that I, I think is vital in the culture we live in because as I talk with people, I, I hear so many different views of God that are contrary to Scripture and so concerning that it's something that we as a church need to stand for. Who is God? What is He like? And worship Him as such. Some people look at God and they think of cosmic policemen. You know, someone with his baton just waiting. Just standing over you and if you make one wrong move, I've got you and I'm going to punish you and hit you. And, but other people think of God as, as, as Papa, as Grandfather. And I don't know what Grandfather means to you. I know Grandfather for, for my kids. Yeah, he's here. Okay. <laughs> it, it's a lot of love and a lot of gifts and, and not a lot of discipline because that's mom and dad's. And maybe another way of, of viewing it is almost like Santa Claus. And some people think of God as their Santa Claus. That, hey, if I need something, shoot up a quick prayer and I get what I want. That's not God. Some people call God their partner. Their partner. And while he, he definitely wants relationship with us, the idea of partner is that we're sharing control and sharing responsibility. That's not God. That's not God. Some people think of God as their coach. Someone that can come in, call some plays, and then leave me alone and let me do what I want. And then when I get in trouble, go back to him for some more advice, some more input, call some more plays, God. But that's not God. That's not who he is. That's not the relationship he wants to have with us. And so we have questions of, of people. Some people view God as just a personal God, and some people view him as a distant God. If he's loving, how can he be judge? And, and we don't understand how he can be both at one time and actually must be both at one time. And so we try to say either he doesn't judge or he's not all loving because we don't know how to merge the two. Sometimes we think of God as our buddy. It's our buddy. And again, he wants a deep, intimate, personal relationship with us. But my concern with that description of God is we lose the awe and the reverence of God Almighty. God wants relationship with us, but He's not just my equal. He's not just my, my buddy. He is the Creator of the universe. The Sovereign over all things. The Infinite One that is and always has been and always will be. That's more than my buddy. And as we come to this series, our goal is to restore that awe of God. To come to God and recognize He loves us, recognize He wants relationship with us, which are focused on so many times, 
but also recognize the awe that the God of the universe would seek me out. The the omnipotent, omniscient, all-wise would seek me out. In Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, we read a description of God. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. For our God is a consuming fire. And so over the next couple of months, my prayer is that we come to God with a reverence and an awe and a much deeper understanding. And in so doing, a much deeper relationship. A.W. Tozer, more than a half century ago, wrote this. The church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted for it one so low, so ignoble, as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men. This she has done not deliberately, but little by little and without her knowledge. And her very unawareness makes her situation all the more tragic. See, as soon as I can contain God, as soon as I bring Him down to my level, as soon as I put Him in my box, He now is not worthy to be worshipped. He is not God. And so as we come to Scripture, as we start a series, we come with an awe and reverence to God. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. And this morning we want to give just some, some presuppositions, some principles about our study for the next few months. And So I know there's a lot of notes there, but most of them is just, just things that we want to share and, and, and move on. But turn to Exodus chapter 3, and it's a story that is significant. It's where the title of our series comes from. It's significance because it's a moment in time that God chooses to reveal Himself to His people. Exodus chapter 3. And we know the background of the story. Moses has, has grown up in Egypt and he saw the slavery and he ended up killing an Egyptian slave master. And through all that situation, fled to Midian and left and ended up um, finding a, a wife and marrying her and becoming a shepherd. And So he's out there watching over the sheep and we know that he's, he's moving along with the sheep and he ends up at Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And he's walking along and off to the side he sees this bush that the Bible described as, as burning but not consumed. It wasn't burning up, it was just the, the fire. And as most of us would, he's like, I need to go look at this. And he goes over to, to find out what's going on. And God speaks to him out of this bush. Because God is about to change his world by revealing who he is and what he wants to do. And as he approaches, God says, take off your shoes, stop. Because this is holy ground. And the revelation of God is always holy ground. And we start in verse 13. That all gives us the background. God shares with him what he wants to do. He wants to free his people. And Moses starts to object. Who am I? How can the, and God says, I will be with you. And then we come to verse 13. Significant passage. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? 
Now, you and I, we, we don't understand culturally the impact of a phrase like, what is his name? You know, I, I sometimes struggle with names, and praise God, my wife doesn't, and she helps me out with that. But names to us are simply ways to address one another. But for them, and especially when people would ask, what is the name of God? That question was loaded with, what is God like? What has God revealed to you? Names meant something. Names revealed character. And so the children of Israel, if Moses was going to say, follow me, the God of your your forefathers has sent me, their question is a logical one. Okay, what's his name? What's he like? What new revelation has he given you that lets us know we should follow you? Powerful question. And Moses is saying, what do I tell them? What do I tell them that answers who you are and what you are trying to do? We come to verse 14. And God answers. And God gives His name. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And He said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And in just a few short verses, God expands His revelation to Moses of who He is, to the children of Israel of who He is, and to us of who He is. See, God uses the verb to be. To be. One of our most common verbs that we use in the English language. We pair it with all kinds of action. It's it's a verb that designates action. And so God says, I am, or I am the one that, that is. And there's three things that we need to see from this name. The first is, I am. I am. And if we, if we look at the, the root word, verb to be, it simply means I exist. I am the God who is. And think about that for a minute. Rather than giving a specific, a specific designation, he says, I am the God who is. And he uses a broad term that says, I am the God who possesses all being, eternity and immutability, as opposed to your idols. I am real. I am alive. If I am the God who is, then I am self-contained. I don't need anyone else. In one verb, I am, he says that he exists above all things. He is not created He is self-contained. And so he's speaking to his nature. He's speaking to his being. But the the second half of that verb, that, that verb for I am, I am who I am, means to cause to be or to bring into being. And both aspects are here because God is saying, not only am I the God who is, but I am the God who has caused all things to be pretty much covers who God is. Pretty much sets the standard that God is, will be, always has been, and everything else is created. And so God says, I am, number one there, bullet one. Number two, I cause to be. I am the creator and sustainer of all things, the Lord of all. And so He told Moses, go tell the people, I am and I who cause to be has sent you. 
the source and sustainer of all things. And so as we explore incomprehensibility, as we, we try to understand it, think for a moment of why God is incomprehensible. God is an infinite being. You and I? No, we're not. And so can you fit the infinite into the finite? No, we can't. Brain starting to hurt yet? Remember sitting in math class and just thinking about infinity? How far does infinity go? Brain starting to hurt yet? And so God is a, an infinite being. There is no beginning. There is no end. And so there is, and, and that applies to all of his attributes. He is infinitely all of his attributes. And we'll study that. But that means we can never fully comprehend him. Praise God. Imagine if we could fully comprehend God. How big would your God be? Would he be a God worth worshiping? No. And so when we come to his incomprehensibility, it's based on his infinite greatness. Something to keep in mind, don't confuse God's infinite greatness with the vastness of his creation. The vastness of creation points to his infinite greatness, but it is not his infinite greatness. We can think of space and think there is no end. It's still finite. God is above all of that and greater than all of that. Another thought about incomprehensibility. Not only can we not understand God fully and comprehend Him fully, we cannot understand or comprehend any part of God fully. And so I can never come to a point where I fully understand God's love because He is always greater than my understanding. Do you feel the awe starting? But that is the God we worship. Listen to these verses. Listen to what they say about God's ways and our ways and, and His understanding and our understanding. Romans 11, 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Psalm 145, 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable, incomprehensible. Psalm 139.6 Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. His knowledge is incomprehensible. Isaiah 40.28 Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So God is so great and so almighty and so powerful that we cannot fully understand Him. But if we just stopped there, you'd be saying, okay, Ron, you've sort of discouraged me from studying who God is. 
if we can't fully understand him, then why study? And that's why we have to pair this with the knowability of God. All is not lost. In 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. Would you turn there for a moment? 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So that first part, we have the incomprehensibility of God. We cannot fully comprehend Him. But then God says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And the principle here is we cannot on our own comprehend God, but through His revelation, through His Spirit, He has chosen to allow us to know Him. To know Him. So as we respond to His incomprehensibility, What it should motivate in us is especially as we talk about God and debate different things, it should teach us humility. Because if I can't fully know God, then I can't tell someone else I fully know God. And we come to God with humility. It should, we should come to studying His Word with caution and with reverence. His incomprehensibility also should, should create a trust in us in God. Because like we said, if I can fully understand him, then I probably know better what to do in the situation than he does. But because he's incomprehensible, I can trust him. I can trust him with my situation, with my life. And then it should lead us to knowability, the last part of your notes. Definition of knowability there is although we cannot know God fully, we can ever increasingly and truly know God in both knowledge and relationship because He has revealed Himself. Because God reveals, we can know. And as we think about that, you have, you have just four thoughts there. God intentionally chose to reveal Himself and to be known. In Matthew 11.27, it says that no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So God intentionally wants to be known. He intentionally revealed Himself. Knowing God means being in relationship with Him. I love Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Knows about me, but knows me relationally. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The Daniel passage there, knowing God helps us stand firm and do His work. And finally, to know God, we must study His revelation. We must study Scripture. You can look up those verses. So God has revealed Himself. And the question for us as we start this series is will we take off our shoes because we are in His holy presence and seek Him? And seek Him. I pray that this will be a powerful, powerful time of getting to know God.